Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. This morning, though, is really not about how we do justice. It's a chance for us to sit here and evaluate and see if we're going to be real honest with ourselves in regards to the way in which we are propagators of injustice. So that's what today is. Um, I've been sitting in the text for about two weeks. And this messed me up, hadn't it, baby? Yeah, Malik will testify. She's like, Will's not been in the right place sometimes. And it's because I've been sitting in this text and considering it and thinking about it. And um, there's, there's days in which I love being a pastor and I like preaching. Um, you know, the Bible says in Ephesians 3, 7 or 8, uh, Paul referring to himself, um, God in his grace has given me this ministry. He says, although I'm least deserving of all the apostles, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's like it's a grace to preach. You study a text like this, I don't know. I don't know. I've even had like a dread thinking about this text and being here. Still kind of feel it, even though I preached it once before. And um, I think it's because in this text we meet some deep cultural, personal idols that I think many of us aren't really willing nor desirous to deal with. I've been praying for courage and faith that I realize I'm preaching to audience one, his name's Jesus. I'll say this too. Sometimes it's nice, never true as a pastor, but nice when you feel like I'm kind of in a good place with the text I'm about to preach. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel good. So I'll just go, you people need to, oh, y'all. You know what I'm saying? This is not one of those. The prophet Daniel said to the king of Babylon, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. That's me. The prophet Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips surrounded by people with unclean lips. That's me. When it comes to this text, I very much am under it needing to be convicted by it and challenged by it, needing to confess and repent my own sins. Let me pray for us. Father, <clears throat> we come before you this morning, and uh, we do want you to do something fresh. I pray that you would give all of us hearts that will believe you, Hearts that somehow, like, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what you do through the word. Divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that you would get in to us. I believe that there are strongholds of the enemy that have been set up 
so that we are blind to our cultural idolatry of consumerism and materialism and just self-indulgence. And we ask today, through the praise of infants, through looking at your word, that you would tear those down in our life. That we would believe that that is a good thing, that the exposure of our sin is good, that it's grace, that it's merciful, that we would see your hand on us even when it's heavy as a hand of love trying to pull us out of the pit. Jesus, we need you. And so we ask that you would be a part of all of what we're doing together as gathering together for the place where your spirit dwells this morning. All God's people said, I'm also tired now, so I don't know what that means for you. Mally would say bad things, but when I get tired, it, it says now, listen, I'm going to read it one more time. I just want to make sure y'all really hear what we're what we dealing with. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify. Everybody say testify. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Now listen, he begins. Here's my question I want to ask throughout this morning. Are you listening? Are you listening because God is? Are you listening because God is? This text, in a way, James, the author, is taking us into the courtroom. And here in the courtroom, it's almost as if we have this trial. You hear words of testifying and crying out against, and then even a verdict is going to be cast. There's going to be a condemnation of the innocent one. Like, it's, it's the courtroom. And what happens is, is there's this one charge being levied against these people, and the charge is self-indulgence. This is the charge that they've been accused of. We have been accused of is self-indulgence indulgence. But the interesting thing about this courtroom is there's two witnesses, neither of which I think we would expect. The first witness is our stuff. And what we'll find out this morning is that God hears the cries of inanimate objects, that our wealth corrodes and the corrosion testifies against us. 
that the wages, we fail to pay the workers, the wages, not the workers, cry out that the things we hoard and bring to ourselves have a voice that are literally crying out against us, trying to cast a condemnation verdict against us. That's the first witness. The second witness is the voices of those we've mistreated. And then we're going to get a verdict at the end, a condemnation charge that's going to go against the innocent one. Now listen. Are you listening? Because God is. Now, now listen, you rich people. Here's the truth, right? Like, I've been thinking about this and praying and, and spending time thinking about, like, like, will our body, will our congregation identify as rich people? What do you think? I don't identify as rich typically. When I'm driving my car down the street, I look at other cars, and I literally, as I was studying this text, I was like, that car is nicer than my car. I don't got the nicest house on the block. I was like, will we identify as rich people? Or will we just run right past this text? When the teaching team, we were talking about it, and somebody said, I've studied James, I don't even know how many times, and I don't even remember this passage. Because if we read a passage like that, we're like, that must be from somebody else. Let me go on, right? But here's what I hope this morning, because this is God's grace, if you'll allow it to come to you, is that we will all see ourselves as rich people. Because if we begin to see ourselves as rich people, we're going to have an opportunity to confess and repent and receive the grace of God. But if we stay in our stubborn unbelief, thinking that we're comfortable, thinking that we're good because we look to the people next to us, and so we justify our actions, I think we'd get the same kind of rebuke that the Pharisees get. Woe to you! So what Jesus does right here in his mercy is he's trying to wake us up to the truth that we are indeed rich people. I don't know if I should tell you the statistics or not. I looked some up. I ain't going to tell you any. If you're curious, I will email you them. But Americans are rich. Here's another thing. Here's one thing I will say. Here's a little hermeneutical hack, an interpretive insight. Whenever you read the Bible, let me just tell you something that you can take for any passage you ever read. Like, the worst thing you could do is to think that it's talking about somebody else. Don't even matter the passage. The worst thing you can do is to go, oh, that's for somebody else. And here's why, is because when you say the word of God's for somebody else, you're saying he's not your Lord, and if he ain't your Lord, then you've not embraced him as Savior. James says earlier in this epistle, someone who looks at the word of God and doesn't do what, it, do what it says is like somebody who sees their face in the mirror and then forgets what they look like. In other words, we're being foolish. What 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 say is that all scripture, including James 5, 1 through 8, is God-breathed, good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God might be fully equipped. Meaning if we're in Christ, this is for us. Now listen, you rich people. 
Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. That is the, the tone, the atmosphere of this courtroom that we are being brought into. It's, it's one of weeping, one of wailing. One where it's not going to go good for us. And if you notice, it says, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on to you. What James is doing in chapter 5 is he's giving us a window to peer into from the temporal into the eternal and see what it's going to be like when we stand in the courtroom of glory. And he's saying what it's going to be for those of you who are rich like this is weeping and wailing. Here's one of the things that's interesting as you read the Bible. It says rich people. You know what it doesn't say? You unbelieving rich people. That would have been helpful, wouldn't it? You wicked rich people. You oppressive rich. It just says rich people. And here's the crazy thing. The Bible does that all of the time. In the Old Testament, sometimes that word rich just is actually a placeholder where you could put oppressor. You go read it. You go do your hermeneutical research. I promise you. You read, the be, you read the Beatitudes, and Matthew says poor in spirit, and the other ones, it just says the poor. Like, like you see this thing, and you see it. He says rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is going to come on you, giving us this, this window, this insight again into the courtroom. And here's the courtroom, and here's what I want you all to consider. I want us all to consider this morning is what it will be like for you personally regardless of your background, your creed, how passionate you are about God, the back, whatever you come from, what's it going to be like when you stand before God on judgment day? That's the courtroom where you are going to have a place on a stand. And what this Bible is trying to let you know today is that there are going to be people who are going to come and they're going to testify against you. The first people is your stuff. And look at what it says about our stuff right here. It says, your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. You notice the tense? It's not future. It's not saying, hey, like, listen, the stuff that you're acquiring and in your closet, like, don't spend your time and energy there because over time it's going to decay. It says it already is decayed. Your gold and silver that you're storing up and investing and you save it in your bank account, it's not saying that stuff's not really going to last. It says it already hasn't lasted. Your clothes are already moth-eaten. Again, what is happening is he has given us a window into the temple to see things actually how they really are, the true nature of things and how they are now. And he's saying, your stuff has already de decomposed. Your stuff, there's already no life in it. If you've seen the movie The Sixth Sense, you follow that whole movie the whole time. And at the end, you find out he's dead. And they, they, it's like they pulled the rug out from underneath you. And you're like, oh, like I've been looking at this thing wrong the whole time. Can I tell you something? Right now, God in his grace is letting us know if we're trying to find any kind of life in material possessions, we've been looking at it wrong the whole time. It's not only for the future, but it's for now. The stuff already has no life in it. Again, he's giving us a window into see things how they really are, this picture of Judgment Day. Again, the first witness is our stuff. Look what it says at the end of verse 3. Their corrosion will testify against you. What is testifying against you? The corrosion of your stuff. 
the decomposition of your material goods. It says you have hoarded wealth on the last day. John Calvin, the reformer, commentating on this passage said, God did not intend gold for rust or clothes for moth. Instead, he intended them to aid human good. One commentator on this passage says, he said this, James has in mind, get this, James has in mind that the decomposition of our things will serve as a testimony against us. In other words, the disuse of material goods stands as a witness crying out against us. Everybody say disuse. You got anything you don't use? Literally, like, again, I told you I've been in this text. Realizing that all this stuff that I have, this excess that I have, literally, God hears it crying out as a testimony against me. I took clothes out of my closet, I threw them on the ground, I'm like, I got to give these away. Because they have a voice when they're in my closet testifying against me. Why? Because there are people not more than miles away who don't have clothes. The extra rooms in our houses are crying out against us because there are people less than miles away who are homeless. The extra seats in our car, when we just drive on, we got multiple seats. When people need transportation, the time that we're hoarding and we're just social media scrolling, Netflix binging, that time is going to cry out against us because there are people who needed to hear a message that we had and could have given them. The disuse literally is testifying against us. And look at what he says. He says, you have, well, first off, he says, the corrosion is going to testify against us. And then what's it say? It's going to eat your flesh like fire. That there's this byproduct. There's this natural residue that comes from self-indulgence. And that natural residue, like we think it's producing something good, but there's a natural residue that's going to come back on us and eat. It's going to eat our flesh like fire. That's how it's going to be. Who wants to wear clothes that do that to us? Who wants to have a bank account that's filling, that's producing corrosion, that's then going to not only testify against us, but at the end times in the courtroom, it's going to eat our flesh like fire. This is what the Word of God says, right? This is what it says. This is not what I'm. This is what it says. Their corrosion will testify against you, eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. We did a whole series on 1 Thessalonians, right? And like the end, we were talking about the last days. When are the last days? Ain't nobody was there. When? When are the last days? Come on. Impress your pastor. When are the last days? Thank you. You have, I mean, you even see it in the context right here. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. This is happening presently. Today is the last days. Let me say something most people ain't going to like. Retirement is not in the Bible. Yet how many of us are very strategically and intentionally saving for something the Bible doesn't say we should do? I told you, it's in this sermon, ain't nobody going to amen. Y'all ain't going to talk back. We're trying to get people more responsive. Yeah, ain't not today, Pastor. I hear you. 
I wouldn't be either. But it's not. He, like, like, like it is not. What does the Bible actually say? The Bible says today's the last days. Well, what does that mean? It means this. Like no, no financial advisor or, 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 or planner would tell you once you get into your 70s and your 80s, then start investing. Like then start saving. Like you're 80, perfect time. No, no, no. You, you like for some of us, like, you had the person talk to you, but, like, if you start investing when you're, like, 21, 22, and then you put this much in, and then you put this much in, and you see the little thing, it's like, boom, 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 you know what I'm saying? You're 65, and you're like, look at me. I started just with a little bit. And you're like, if I put a lot, put a little bit in when I'm 20, that would make way more money than if I start putting in stuff when I'm, like, 35. Start today, right? Start today. Today is the day. Start. Invest, right? Like, that's what people are going to say. That's what Christians are going to say a lot of times. But the Bible says something radically different. The, the Bible says we should have an eschatological hermeneutic when we think about money. That we should recognize that today is the last days. And because we're already in retirement age, we better start putting that money to work today. What do I mean put it to work? I mean, start investing in people, start giving generously, start moving from hoarding self-indulgence to go, how can I use all of my things to bless the people around me? The Bible says, put it to work. Here's the truth. This is, why, this is literally what I think. I, I genuinely believe that there is a stronghold from the enemy that has blinded the eyes of American Christians around money. That I think if we just let the Bible say what it said, we would realize God's going, what are you doing? What are we doing with money? Like most of us have some sort of not biblical view of money. We have some sort of like a marrow-centric view of money with a little bit of Proverbs sprinkled in. And let me just tell you something. You go Ecclesiastes, you go Proverbs, you know what that is? That's wisdom literature. You know what wisdom literature is trying to tell us? How the world works. When we read wisdom literature, we don't necessarily then go, so we ought to. There's, there's Proverbs that say if you, if you bribe somebody, this is going to go good for you. But it doesn't mean we should do that. Because if we invest now, we'll have more later for us. That doesn't mean we should do that. That's not what that means. And so we got to start wrestling, honestly, like, go, what does the Bible actually teach? And here is my, my encouragement, is to read the Bible. Like, literally, I'm just saying, look at the passages where the scriptures talk about money. Just do that. You don't got to take a single, another word I say, just look at those and start to go, am I as balanced as the Bible is balanced? And what you'll see is, and like, I'm the biggest Old Testament guy, the continuity from the Old Testament to the New. I'm like, for show. But the New Testament has an eschatological hermeneutic around money. And Matthew 6 says, what we should be focused on is the kingdom of God, and then God's going to help us with our clothes and our housing. What our financial planners going to tell us that? This is the way the Bible reads. And what, he, what, what he's doing is, in his grace, he's trying to pull the rug out from beneath us right now so that God in his grace could let us know, like, so that we don't get to that courtroom of glory 
and have these witnesses testifying against us. So he's saying, I want you to know now, don't hoard because it's the last days. Don't, don't be so self-indulgent. Is the idea. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Verse 4, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So again, are you listening because God is? The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The wages we haven't paid are testifying against us. The disuse of our stuff is crying out against us. The first witness in the courtroom was our stuff. We just got to ask, where are we not using stuff? Where have we hoarded stuff? Where are we playing with stuff because of our selfish indulgence? That's the first witness. The second witness on the stand, though, again, the charge is self-indulgence, but the second witness on the stand are the cries of the people that we've mistreated. And if I didn't think that we would identify with being rich, I knew even more we won't identify with thinking that we mistreated people because we're good people. Church-going folk, Ray City Church, we really believe here. And so we can think that what we're doing in our self-indulgence has no effect on other people. Do your history. Slavery? Slavery does not exist because of racism. It just don't. It wasn't prejudice. It wasn't ontological racism. You know why slavery exists? Greed. Slavery was an economic engine for this country. Racism was just a tool to propagate it. Literally. You know what? Slavery was on its way out until the creation of the cotton gin. And then it became more lucrative. And so we perpetuated it. Do we really think there ain't no modern-day slavery anywhere? Do we know how sex trafficking works? Do we know how pornography propagates sex trafficking for a $90 billion industry that many of us in this room are propagating? Do we recognize this? Do we know why private schools exist in Charleston, South Carolina? You know why private schools exist? Private schools exist because after, after integration, they didn't want people to go back to, to the public school with black people, so we're going to create private schools, and that's why we get the, the, the uh, inequities that exist in our public school system in Charleston, South Carolina. But it wasn't, it wasn't even really, I, I said because they didn't want their kids to go to school. I should have said that. It's what, because they want their kids to be safe. They want their kids to be well-educated. That's why. So ain't none of y'all going to be with me. I send my kids to private school. Not only that, family, I think one of the reasons why we so don't identify, like we could, we, like I don't think we could imagine somebody standing on the stand at glory testifying against us. We're like, but, and, 
And, and if you notice in this text, it says the wages you failed to pay the workers. So it's not like the wages you intentionally even withheld from the workers. It doesn't even say like you, you had hate towards the workers and you oppressed the workers. No, no, it says it's like, it's like the workers were just a number on your payroll and you accidentally missed them. You failed to look over them. And so because of that, they're in a terrible situation. You, they, were, they were just a thing to you. Almost accidental, almost like just neglect, almost just lack of awareness. And you might go, well, like I don't, I'm not an employer. I don't, what do I owe people? You know what I'm saying? Like I try to tip good even when I go to restaurants because I'm a Christian. You know, like I, I don't know. But here's what, I hope you hear this. What we owe people according to the Bible, is love. We owe every person love. Romans 13, 8. Do not be in debt to anyone except the continu continuing debt to love them. The, the text we heard talked about last week, what does God command us? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love, what? Your neighbor as yourself. Do we know that sin is, just not, is not just the bad stuff we do? Sin biblically means missing the mark. It's us not living into our created purposes. And God says we are created to worship him and to love our brother and sister. So when we walk past the person who's homeless... That person's going to be testifying against us. You might say, you didn't owe them anything. God said you owed them love. When we've not visited the prisoners in our community, we might go, what are you talking about? Like, I was just, that, that wasn't in my sphere of responsibility. God's going to say you owed them love. Like, I was thinking about the stand I'm in. I'm like, I bet I'm going to have a slew of neighbors who are going to testify against me because I was living right next to them, yet I never went into their house to love them. Yet they ain't never heard the gospel from me. But like, where was Will at? You don't believe me? Let's look at Matthew. Jesus says this very explicitly. Matthew chapter 25. Hear this parable. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me, then he will say, again, courtroom language, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. This is Jesus speaking. Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They'll also answer, and I, like this is how I would. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you. 
Don't you think that's what you'd say? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not, everybody say not, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That's the words of Jesus. How we doing? You think you ain't going to have anybody testifying against you? All these people we just neglected. There's this beautiful line here, too, thinking about how God hears. End of verse 4. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Again, are you listening? Because God is. But God is not just listening to the testimony against us. He's listening to the cries of those who've been hurt. He's listening to the cries of the weak, the cries of the needy, the cries of the prisoner, the cries of the abused. He is, he is the God who sees Elroy. He's the God who hears. It says the cries, the cries of, of those who haven't been paid have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. That name right there is El Shaddai, the, 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 the Lord of heaven's armies or the Lord of hosts, meaning that he is the God who's going to right all injustice one day. He's the God who's going to right all wrong one day. And what that means is, is, is if we are those who've, who've been the recipients of abuse, who have been looked over, left out, discredited, lied against, that God's going to make all that right one day. That he is a God who hears. But the question is, are we listening? The indictment, the charge, verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the days of slaughter. Do you hear that language? Literally, he says, the way that we're living so self-indulgently, being concerned chiefly, like again, how do people perceive me? What's going on in my life? Am I making financial advancement? Has the boss seen me and so I can do what I want to do? Like, am I investing right in the money I need? Do I have the clothes? Like, like I, I walked in, it's funny, I, I walked in to church today and somebody said to me, if you would have been at the free fly sale, then everybody from Grace City Church would have been there. They said there was more people at that sale than our 1115 service from Grace City Church. And I ain't clear it ain't wrong to go buy a free fly. But my point is this. It's like we use, I mean, we be intentional. When's it happening? What's going on? Let me go get here. Let me look through it. Right, Like, like we be intentional when it comes to serving ourselves, don't we? Like we're strategic. We're thoughtful. And what he is saying right here is you have lived in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. In other words... All the self-indulgent living is like us just shoveling food into our mouth and getting fat like a hog so that we cannot escape the butcher that's inevitably coming. I was um, studying this text. I got in the habit in my preaching preparation to 
in my morning devotions, spend some time in it, in the text, and not think about all you guys. I just think about myself. And one day I was looking at this, again, just thinking about me. And I was sitting at my little counter, had a blanket on because it was kind of cold. And I was like, say people who are cold right now, and I'm in my warm house with a blanket on. I'm a breakfast guy. I was eating my full breakfast, my warm coffee. And there are people who are trying to get to whatever food distribution center to get food this morning. Like, I'm about to hop in my car that's got four seats that I don't ever sit in. And rarely does somebody else sit in, especially somebody who needs transportation. I'm about to drive past a guy who's right near my house who's always asking for money. Like, that's what I'm doing. I think about the type of, I don't know about you, but again, the type of energy I can put in to my own advancement in this world. What I want. My job, my work. And it's relentless. And this text says, you are just fattening yourself for the day of slaughter. And I don't know about you, family, but here's the truth. It's like when we stand at glory, the truth is we're going to be here. There's the Father. Here we are. There's going to be people testifying against us. It's going to be our stuff, the way we've not used it, the self-indulgent life we've lived constantly. There's going to be all these people we mistreated. They're going to be there testifying against us. And then look at verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. You have condemned and murdered. He was like, I want you to know, rich people, I want you to know that you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Commentators take different sides on this interpretation. Some believe it's saying this lifestyle of living will naturally kind of produce Death for people. So that's what it means. Some people believe these people, the first century hearers, had actually lived in such a way that had killed or murdered somebody and condemned them. But some translators, and church history has a lot of backing to say this, recognizes that the innocent one right there is singular. You see it? So that's why the NIV translates it, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Family, here's the truth, is that in the courtroom of glory, there will be people testifying against us, and the verdict should absolutely, like the father should swing the gavel, and the verdict is guilty for us. We have been found wanting. We are, we've been measured by the scales, and our life is short. We are idolatrous people, Americans especially. But instead of the condemnation landing on us, Instead of us getting our just desserts, like what we deserve, the condemnation is not for us. It's for the innocent one who was not opposing you. For what did he say on the cross? 
as he's being nailed there, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you believe that? Jesus looking at the face of his abusers and oppressors and saying, God, be with them and forgive them. Us being on the stand deserving death, but Jesus raising his hand and saying, no, I'm going to be condemned in their place so that he who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, could become sin so that we could become his righteousness, so that innocence gets put on us. Can you believe this? We rightfully deserve condemnation for our behavior, but instead, Jesus has been condemned on our behalf. Instead, his grace has been given to us. So here's the truth. We don't stand any chance to just go be different. Like God wants to pull the rug out from underneath our eyes so that we, deserve, we see we should be condemned, but so that we could, we could celebrate the grace of God who's been condemned in our place. I hope you hear me. Are you listening? Because God is. We have a God who heard the silence of his accusers and responded to save them. We have a God who hears the things we will never make request of, the sins we will never ask for forgiveness for. We have a God who while, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, he died for us. He responds to us before we ever call to him. We have a God who wants to lavish grace on us. That's why verse 7 says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. We need not milk out of life everything we can get thinking that our home is here. We need not do it. We can be patient. We don't have to fight for ourselves all the time. We don't have to make sure our money's being put in the right places for our ends anymore. We can be free of that yoke. We don't have to accumulate stuff to make sure we can have the most delight now. He says, instead, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. We can be patient because God's going to make it rain. And when he makes it rain, there's going to be this valuable crop that can never spoil. Water that wells up into eternal life, John 4. Bread that just keeps on multiplying. 
We'll be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. We can be patient. We can trust him because he's given us grace. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.